What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Knicks fans, how you doing? It is your boy Jonathan Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Man, it's good times. Why is it good times? I don't know. It's just, it's sun shining outside the window that is right next to my microphone. Um, I didn't lose any bets today, um, which is great. And I feel really wonderful being a person on this podcast who didn't lose any money um, gambling. And I'm just going to let that sit there. Um, oh, wait, I have I have people here with me. One of them um, is Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, how are you doing today? Just pouring salt in a festering wound, aren't you? That's I, just what you I do, thought John. I actually maybe pried it open. Like, what are those things that the doctors get, the, the clamps or whatever, where you could open the wound more? And then I p- took the thing off the top of the salt shaker and just dumped it. It feels like you sutured it then with like dental floss. It just, <laughs> it burns. It just hurts. Uh, yeah. You know, generally speaking, everything's totally fine. Um, the Eagles are a joke. And as a Giants fan, I feel like that's great. But the one time I actually want them to root, I want them to win, they uh, disappoint me. So that's okay. You know, on to the, on to the next one, I guess. On to um, the next one, as Mike D'Antoni would say. Um, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But we have another guest here joining us special for our Sunday show. He came on, um, I guess it's been about a month ago now. And he has quickly become one of the people that I interact with the most on Twitter. I don't know why that is, because usually you're just disagreeing with me. But I, whatever it is, I find myself always coming back for more um, of the Strickland. Uh, Prez. Prez, welcome to the program once again. How are you, man? I'm good. And I think it happens on Twitter because I'm a morning person and you drop the newsletter pretty early. And <laughs> I just usually drop that tweet in there at like 7.20, 7.30 a.m. with my coffee. Like, hey, good newsletter. This is what I hate about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, if I didn't write something that that you hated, I, I don't think I've been doing my job. But yeah, no, I've been. So now that I'm back at at, at work, um, I usually hit send like right when I walk on the train, which is at about seven o'clock. So um, I guess all the all the better for our our interactions. Um, so there's been <sighs> Jeremy. Did we did we like create the Mitch issue? I actually no, I don't want to be grouped in with you. Did you create the Mitch thing on this podcast maybe several weeks ago ago? Is that I'm gonna put it on you. Yeah, you know, I take some responsibility for uh the hot word of the week is discourse. Um I would say that it's definitely I certainly take some sort of responsibility for at least entertaining why the Knicks have to consider their options moving forward and Hell, that problem is going to be a lot closer than people think, but it's not like a dire situation. But sure, I'll uh, 
I'll take the fall if necessary, because I feel like I definitely contributed to the conversation in some way. I, I hate being the fall guy, so I'm, I'm going to put it on you. Um, I'm really great at weaseling out of responsibility. It's, I think it's the one thing I'm good at in my professional career. Um, so Prez, uh, you're, I know, uh, going to, tr- well, I'll chime in on that, um, in a bit, but before we get there, um, a couple names that have been, I guess you'd say in the news, uh, over the last couple days, um, one of which let's, who do we want to hit first? Um, let's talk about the two time MVP, um, who I guess walked into a room with, uh, his owner <laughs> on, uh, yesterday, was it yesterday, Saturday? And what was said in that room is anybody's guess. Uh, I have heard, I heard some things yesterday that lead me to believe that it was not, um, an altogether positive conversation, at least in terms of how secure the bucks are feeling in their own, in their own chairs right now. Uh, and you know, the Twitter is a buzz with, uh, you know, fake Giannis trades and this and that and the other thing. Um, Prez, are you, are you paying the Giannis situation? If I, I mean, I shouldn't even call it that. Are you paying, are you paying Giannis and what's going on with the bucks? Any mind whatsoever right now? A little bit, but I'm going to be honest. I kind of, struggled and and we'll get into this i'm sure a little bit in shortly but like once you start talking about very like the mechanical logistical aspects of the of hypotheticals whether it's like all right this is what happens if a trade demand happens now or a supermax kicks in and then a trade or you know like and it's the same thing with with proposed trades on twitter that include more than two teams i'm like my my brain just it's too complicated for me i just can't handle it so i kind of just rely on people like y'all who got a good <laughs> ear to the ground and understand how all that shit works to kind of you know break it down in 280 characters or less but, for me no but i actually hold on i, I want to stick with this for half a second because i think it's interesting because our brains like you say, immediately jump to all the machinations, but just from purely from a perspective of the notion of giving up, you know, whatever it is and what it, it doesn't mean, we don't even, this doesn't need to even be a conversation about the Knicks. It could be of any team. The notion of giving up what it would take to get, you know, the, the best player in the sport, the second, third, whatever player he is and having zero guarantee that you have him for more than a year. Is that a conversation that you even want to, have or is it just like that seems very stupid well not neither really it's just, i don't i just don't think i don't think it's a conversation for the Knicks because you're already even if even if you're even if he says i only want to go to these few teams like there's a few teams that have quite a bit to offer the Knicks among them um but to make up for the lack of players being offered like really good players that would go to Milwaukee in that situation, we'd have to give like volume, volume of maybe good, maybe not good young players. And then of course our picks and other folks picks that we have. So it's like, why? Like we would be, we would be trash as soon as we got him and he's not stupid. I'm sure he knows that. I don't think this is a, this is analogous to the Carmelo situation where it's, more about wanting out than wanting into a specific championship contender, if that makes sense. So uh, I don't, I just don't think, I mean, we can, 
they can brainstorm about it all we want. It's just un- unless he specifically says, like, I, for whatever reason, want to play on the New York Knicks and nowhere else, there's no there's no trade that makes everybody happy. I, I think you, what the, what the opinion you just expressed is the, the baseline for sensible discussion in this conversation, um, which of course is a perfect segment to Jeremy, who I'm sure is going to have something batshit crazy off the wall. I don't even know what to, to, you know, and they always make sense. That's the thing. That's the crazy part about Jeremy's stuff. It's just, they are, they are out there while also making sense. Yeah, no, I've got something lined up. Um, I wouldn't be (laughs) doing my job if I didn't have something that was somewhat batshit crazy yet. Also kind of possible yet again, completely unrealistic. But then again, it's like that, the meme of the girls like, yeah, but oh yeah. And then, but no. And then, yeah. Anyways, um, there's no real world here that I see the Knicks trading for Giannis. If the Knicks were in a position like maybe the 2017-18 Raptors and they've got a really good contending team, but just they're, they're clearly they've hit their ceiling and they need to go up, that'd be one thing. But the Knicks are very much in the basement. I mean, this is a team that we've – I mean, John, you and I have had this conversation with. They're like, what, maybe the 29th best? I mean – it's and, a, it's you know, a number that it's a it's a number that starts with a two and it's a it's not a the second number is not a small one so yeah right so you know in what world yeah you could trade for Giannis you could give up anything and everything but then he's going to be asking the same question that he's asking Bucks ownership how are you going to build around me I don't see why the Knicks consider trading for any star right now it doesn't mean just totally be bad. I think that the best thing the Knicks can do is just try their best. And if they win games, then they can be a somewhat attractive free agent option. And if they lose a lot of games, then they're just building up nice assets and uh, a really great draft class. The one thing I think is um, important, if you're going to make a godfather offer, it's not for Giannis and it's not right now. And when I say it's not for Giannis, I don't mean that as a slight to answer to Kumpo. It's just... You don't want to end up in a position where he walks and you've traded for one meh year and um, then you're you're even further back than where you're at right now. So if I'm the Knicks, what I consider doing is, like I said, just trying your best. And then when 2021 comes around, I basically say, look, we're you know, Giannis, we can sign you. And then, sure, you could see if maybe Anthony Davis is a bit more uh, attainable because as of I mean, there's no way he's going to leave now. And uh, but maybe a year changes. Maybe LeBron James gets older. Maybe he shows signs of decline. Who knows? Um, I basically, if I'm the Knicks, I say, let's try to build around you guys. But then to add a third player, we could trade the young players that we have for someone to like kind of form that big three. And the thing is, we haven't seen a big three in, I mean, we've had the Warriors. But other than that, it's been kind of rare. Right now, it's a lot of big twos, maybe two and a halfs. Um, but so, you know, if I'm the Knicks and I'm able to assemble those two guys and I say, pick your third star, we'll trade for him. And I do a Paul George type of offer. Then I think that's a much more compelling situation. Um, I did figure out what that could be. Um, because of course, yeah. So let's, let's just play around. Uh, the Knicks get rid of Randall at some point before 2021, clearing off his $4 million. Then they renounce Frank Nielakina because his cap hold is too high. Of course, they wouldn't do that unless they had a firm commitment from two stars who are free agents, 
let's just say because they'll probably be free agents, Giannis and Anthony Davis. And then what you do is the salary that works is you trade RJ, Kevin Knox, this year's lottery pick, next year's lottery pick, which again will probably be top 10, and any future first round picks that gets it done for a player like Devin Booker. And then you basically can re-sign Mitch by going over the salary cap. And we'll, we'll obviously get into the Mitch conversation, but one thing you could do is be willing to overpay Mitch in that case, um, but more so because you could always pull off a trade. Like if Mitch is a great player, but he has less value because you're shrinking the floor a bit by bringing on Giannis, then you could always do kind of like a Capella for Covington type deal where you're taking a starting caliber player and swapping him out for another starting caliber player. And then you add, you know, veterans, you've got some young pieces, you have this year's Clippers pick, you've got uh, three second round picks, they're gonna be high second round picks, it's cheap labor, you can plug them in, you've got the Dallas pick next year. So there are things you can do, it's just, uh, it's very pie in the sky, but it's exactly why the Knicks should stay patient because the opportunity could present itself in a completely new light. I think that's incredibly well said. Um, I am just for my own sanity uh, doing something for the Monday newsletter in which I'm going to go basically go through the entire league because I think the only I think I think if if Milwaukee is accepting offers and my understanding is they may um, uh, do that. Uh, I think the next will the Knicks will make an offer. Um, I don't think they're going to sit this one out, um, but I, th- I think they're going to be um, careful. Measured. <laughs> Measured is a good Calibre. word. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that's smart for all the reasons that you, you just listed. And yeah, it just, it, it doesn't make sense for them to get in on this. I, th- uh, because he is coming up on free agency. Before we get back to the rest of the basketball conversation, I I wanted to pause for one quick second just to remind folks, we are recording this on Sunday. It is the first day of NFL football. Um, Is there really ever a better time to remember that MyBookie exists? I mean... You've heard me talk about my bookie before. It's always winning season at my bookie because what does my bookie mean? It means doubling your first deposit. And I mean, if you're out there and you're betting on Sunday anyway, and you're betting on football, hey, maybe you're even betting on the, the basketball that we still have left. We still got two conference finals to play. We got a game seven, Clippers and, and Nuggets. We got the finals after that. You could bet on the draft. You could bet on anything. My bookie is the place to do it because they have prop bets, they have bonuses, they have cross sport wagers, they have literally anything you could possibly want when it comes to placing your wagers. Um, If you want to get in in the action now that the NFL is back, basketball is still happening, baseball is happening, literally all the sports are happening, use promo code OVERTIME. And if you use promo code OVERTIME, you will double your first deposit. I mean, if you're sitting there and you're going to gamble anyway, you might as well get twice as much money. New players get up to $1,000 in free play, so obviously this is designed to add even more excitement to the excitement you're already having. Um, If you use that promo code over time, you'll double your first deposit, and you can only do that at MyBookie. Remember also that MyBookie goes all in for the listeners. We are giving away $500 cash to one lucky person who takes advantage of the offer. Um, So when you make your first deposit, just take your screen grab, like Control-F, whatever, or Control-4, I think it is, on some computers. Anyway, you grab your your screenshot. You're going to email it to overtime at advertisecast.com. So one more time, you're going to... 
take a screen grab when you sign up using the promo code overtime you're going to email that screen grab to overtime at advertise c a s t dot com and they're going to give away $500 if you do this you might be the $500 winner for the month of September who knows it might be your lucky day um, we're all Knicks fans and it hasn't been our lucky day very often but maybe this will make up for it I hope so one last time use the promo code overtime email that screen grab when you sign up to overtime at advertisecast.com Harden, smooth transition, um, is a slightly different situation because he can he's under contract for two more years guaranteed, and then he's a player option for the year after that. Um, I I have heard nothing in terms of the Knicks' potential interest in James Harden. I, I don't know if such a thing exists. Um, he's also older. Um, he is a very different type of player than Giannis uh, to put it, to put it lightly. Um, I don't, I don't know. Well, let me, again, I'll press, I'll go back to you. What do you, do you like James Harden as a player? Just, I, I know a lot of people are very divided on him. Yeah. So I think the, the most interesting thing putting aside whether I like him or not. And, and I do think he's an extremely good player, obviously um, is it's hard right now for folks to separate James Harden on the Rockets from what he could be elsewhere because he's been so entrenched in a particular system for so long. But like, put aside all the like mechanicals and just assume just James Harden coached by Tom Thibodeau. Like, what does that look like? It's it's a lot different from James Harden coached by Mike D'Antoni. May even if he's even if Tibbs is like, I'm gonna modernize a bit and let him be the point guard. Like, it's still way different. He's not gonna. You know, we 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 won't have to rehash the whole Tibbs wars or anything, but uh, you know he almost to a fault is going to on offense like bang the adaptability drum right yep. to yep. the point where even if he has young players, it it might be a little too much to ask of some of them sometimes, which is remains the most interesting or one of the most interesting things to me about the the upcoming season. So you'll he, he's not gonna. He's not going to ever die with, with a with one particular game plan like Budenholzer did with the Bucks or like D'Antoni does with the Rockets. He's going to have not just counters for individual plays, but almost like systemic counters. He's gonna he's gonna tell James Harden pull up from fucking eighteen foot. Like he's gonna <laughs> change where he gets the ball, so yeah. it's not just thirty five feet away at the center of the court and stuff like that. So. You know, I, I think, like, yes, D'Antoni's system is what lets him put up those insane numbers, but it's also what, in some ways, cripples his playoff effectiveness. And that's not to excuse Harden, right? He could call his own number from 18 foot feet. He's a big boy, but he doesn't. <laughs> so, like, he has some culpability here, too. But, you know, he's he's going to be really good. But, again, I, it's, it's a similar deal. Like, I don't – I just don't see – like it's hard for me to even wrap my head around like who and what will be offered for I, James it, Harden I'm should right he there. be on the block. I'm right there with the you. More interest, the more interesting thing to me that I'm curious what y'all think about is to me, like if if you have one or one and a half off seasons where you have potentially CP moving, Harden, uh, you know, Eric Gordon, 
Russell Westbrook. Not that the Knicks need to trade for any of these guys. Um, and then Giannis. Like, that's a lot of teams moving shit around. And there's going to be teams that need to grease the wheels and take take shit into space for more assets. And, <sighs> yeah. and you know, this is like what Brock Aller was created for. This perfect shitstorm. So, like, I'm I'm really looking forward to should the chaos ensue, you know, to see if the Knicks dip their toes in the water. Not to get some max player but no to, they shouldn't dip, get busy they shouldn't dip their toes in the water they should put on their their what the ski uh the, the thing put, yeah the whole the whole wetsuit find the, the deepest end of the where you can you know the deepest end of the pool and just um not waste any time that's that is what they should be doing and i would i would love nothing more than to come up with all kinds of fake Eric Gordon trades, except for the fact that the only um, picks the Rockets can trade are they can't even trade both of them. It's either their 21, um, 2021 or 2022 picks, which presumably if they traded Eric Gordon, it would be to make some kind of facilitate some other kind of upgrade, which means they would be um, still pretty good for a while. And those picks would not have enough value for me to take on Eric Gordon's. um, Is it one of the 10 worst contracts in the league? Is it maybe bordering on the top five i don't know um but for, in terms of what you just brought up the the bucks situation is more interesting where that's concerned is could we be a facilitator of some kind to take on money and i i tossed eric bledsoe's name out there on a tweet this week and like people responded like i had named someone that like can't play basketball anymore and like we all know what eric bledsoe is and we all know what eric bledsoe isn't he's not a he could play. He's a he's a he's a guy who could still do some stuff. If there was a way to get something um, for taking him on, and I'm, he's just one name. I mean, there's other guys on the box. Um, Jeremy, where where do you weigh in on this? Well, with Bledsoe, it's uh, I think there's a lot of recency bias at play. Probably too for someone like Van Vliet, where for sure, you know, like yeah. he, yeah, the last shot that he took that looked like something that Fizdale would have drawn up, but it's not kind of like the clinching move for why the Knicks shouldn't sign a player like that. Uh, but yeah, this, as Press is saying, this is the perfect offseason for Brock Aller because the sheer level of creativity that can be at play here. I mean, um, I'm working on something now, and if the Knicks wanted to find depressed assets that they can then turn around and deal for a profit, then that's the best of both worlds, right? Because everyone thinks of salary dumps like, all right, let's take on um, I don't know, like Damari Carroll's awful salary and let him do something. And like, yeah, that's fine. You're getting a depreciating asset. But what works out even better is if you can turn that player, that Damari Carroll, into a first-round pick or some other long-term asset as well. So, you know, nothing's going to get solved overnight, naturally. It's um, hardened to me is it's it is apples to oranges, but it's like, all right, at the same day, they're both fruits. Uh, you can tell that it's not the best situation for the Knicks <laughs> that's, because that's fantastic. Thank you. Like I, I mentioned on Twitter, how how are you building around Harden as he gets older? He's got two years left on his deal. You're not going to be able to sign Giannis because the two hate each other. You're then pretty much banking on Anthony Davis coming to the Knicks and working around that. And then yeah, maybe you can make some upgrades. Maybe RJ takes the next step up. It's not like there's absolutely no way that this can work out. It's just you're making a smaller window for a player whose best days, you know, he's still in his prime. It's not like he's going to drop off the face of the earth. He can, and with the change in role, he can still do well. It's just um, making sure you can 
maximize that by adding the right talent around him. And if you're going through the draft, it's whatever picks you have left. Um, that's not going to bring in a superstar or a star. You're not going to be able to necessarily trade for one because you just traded for Harden. So it's tough. It's it's just a smaller margin of error. That's a that's a good way to put it. And um, yeah, I agree with you, Prez. I think I don't think people have yet wrapped their head around the. the I mean, maybe I know Jeremy spends a lot of time thinking about this, um, which is why he's great with you know coming up with things very quickly. But I don't think most people have wrapped their head around the shitstorm of movement that's about to unfold over the next. Um, several months and uh it's it's going to get interesting and there's going to be opportunities to uh jump on and um money is going to matter which is perhaps a good talk about smooth transitions um way into the the main conversation we want to have today um surrounding surrounding mitch how much is mitch making this year by the way again one point is it it's still in the ones or is, is it is he making two million? I know you know this, Jeremy. It's still in the ones. It's, it's like one point six. Yeah. So, you know, when we when we talk about um Mitchell Robinson being the best bargain in the NBA, it that's not literal because like I, I don't know. LeBron James is still the best. LeBron, whatever amount of money LeBron James is making, or maybe if there's another player of that ilk that you'd rather say, like whatever he's making, it's the best bargain in the NBA because he should be making $90 million. Um, but I guess from a perspective of like how easily you could fit the person under your cap, um, Mitchell Robinson is, is in that conversation. Um, and I, I, I want to turn this over to you guys. Cause you, you guys both feel, I think more strongly about this than I do, but I, I just need to say this as, as an opening salvo. And I don't, I don't, mean this to sound like I'm I'm angry at anybody because I'm not I'm not ever angry I'm, I'm happy I'm a, I'm a happy guy I am I'm a happy guy um it's it's okay to look at the idea of possibly trading Mitchell Robinson and get like angry or upset um because he is like the he's been my favorite player to root for uh since like a really good player. Like obviously I love rooting for Frank, but Frank has had his struggles and Mitchell Robinson is the best player on the team and has been for, for two years now. Um, it, it's, it's natural to like the thought of trading Mitchell Robinson makes me upset and angry. And I've have talked about it, but if you are going like, you can't take those feelings and be like, then irrationally angry at someone who merely asks the question like, Hey, you know, this may be something worth looking at it just from a theoretical perspective, because smart teams get ahead of the curve and um, shitty teams get themselves in situations where they don't take advantage of an asset. And listen, we're going to have the conversation and I actually don't even think there's one right answer. I think it's, there's too many unknowns at this point, but just the notion that you're like, you're an idiot for having the conversation. I, I'm sorry, but that's that's not being a good fan. Because if you're if the goal of being a fan is to hopefully someday root for a team that wins a championship, then exploring all avenues to that, you should at least think about it. And it's okay if you don't want to move a guy because you're emotionally attached to him. Like I'm, I love Frank and Lakina. 
there are a thousand trades that involve Frank and Elikina that would make them a better team tomorrow. And I'm comfortable saying that doesn't mean I want them to make all of them. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, I hope that didn't offend anybody, but just, I wanted that noted for posterity's sake. Um, Prez, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. I, I really do enjoy this topic and it doesn't make me as angry as it, does, as it seems to on Twitter. <laughs> well, no, um, I, you, but I know you're a laid back guy. I know, I know you just, you have your points, <laughs> you, you have your points and you put your points out there, which I respect because they're good points. So, um, why don't we start with you? Do you, wh- when you, when you hear the, the, the conversation happening, what is the first thing that pops into your mind? I guess maybe is the best way to start it off. So, so I, I agree with the idea that w- what you just articulated that like there are situations where you have to consider it and you know we like everybody makes calls for everybody in the league and that's just the way it is so like they wouldn't be doing their due diligence if they didn't listen to calls for their best player their second best player their third best player whoever um, and there is a danger that you know you overpay a young guy because you're starved for a homegrown player. The thing that I took issue with um, was less about the circumstances under which it would make sense to trade him broadly, but where you draw the line, which goes to how you value him as a player now and his upside. Okay. So, so I agree with the premise of like what, why you explore it and then checking out the timelines of when it makes most sense to, uh, to, to deal him if you were going to deal him. That's the stuff that I was mentioning before that is like mechanical and it's hard for me to wrap my brain around. So I'm really happy whenever you guys get into it. No, so oh, and by the way, like, my little, my little speech was not directed at you. <laughs> I just want you to know that. <laughs> Um, anyway, it struck me that I should probably clarify that. Anyway, no, no. Keep, continue. Not at all. Not at all. Um, so my whole thing is I'm, I consider myself high on him and not just, I mean, lot, like you said, lots of Knicks fans love, you know, we, we, how good did we think fucking Landry Fields was going to be? We're high on oh, him, guys. That guy could, actually that guy could do no wrong. Perpetuity. Right. Right. Put back dunks from the free throw. You can't tell me shit about Landry Fields, all right, man. Iman Shumpert was more. I'm I'm more in the Iman Shumpert is going to be a, a not not quite an all star, but he was going to get right. He was going to like sniff. Right. Like he, he was going right. to be in in all star conversations. Yeah, how'd, how'd that work out, Macri? We 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 can save this for a whole another pod. Oh Tony my god, there's a top Iman ten Shumpert. list here. Yeah. Right. Right. So so I, I try to be careful about. But, but wait, hold on. Know, can like, I say am I being a homer? There's a difference, though. There's a difference. And it is that Mitchell Robinson, the, and this is, it's backed up by numbers, by statistics. And it's also, quite frankly, backed up by the eye test. He's done things that, like, yeah, Landry Fields and Amon Shumpert and whoever else you want to throw in this conversation, they had moments where they did some stuff that was like, ooh, that could, that could help a team someday. Mitchell Robinson has been, I, I have, I, don't think I'm speaking out of turn here by saying he has been their best player for two years now. And I know it's a low bar, but like he's been the only guy that stands out in a real positive way for two years in a row. Now that can't not be a part of the conversation. So, so I just wanted to say that before you continued. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. There's, there's a difference there. I'm just 
traumatized from my own past homerness so I, I try to be reflective about it but for yeah you know like i like i was saying on twitter basically i think he's and i forget which day your newsletter kind of touched on you know looking into centers in the playoffs and defenses in the playoffs and things like that and it was really really well done and i think he's you know in terms of perimeter mobility if you put bam at the top of the list along with draymond you know, I'm not going to argue with anybody who says those guys are more mobile than him because those guys are crazy. Uh, but he's like right in the next group right after that. And then he is as good as those guys are at room protection. He's better than them. Um, he's a worse rebounder. Defensive, defensive rebounder. Def- right. Yeah, exactly. Exceptional offensive rebounder. Um, and he's not good at post defense. So he has weaknesses to me, but I'm not at all worried about the big, big problem that bigs run into, which is contributing nothing on offense or being a target on defense. Um, On offense, it's not because I think he'll shoot. Um, More just, I think, if he gets to the ability to take one dribble, his dunk radius is so crazy that I think he's... You know, it's 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 closer to to Trez on offense in the sense that he's comfortable taking a dribble and throwing up a floater. Except the difference is Mitch is not going to throw up a floater. Mitch is going to jump over someone and dunk on their head. And we should and, also and and by the same token, the there is a level of athleticism with Robinson whereby mm-hmm. and look is he going to keep that level of athleticism until he's 35 no at some point it's obviously <laughs> going to it's going to drop off but for the time being i th- i think he is probably the best vertical offensive threat in the league he has to be in the conversation amongst the top whatever four or five guys so that is just that's just another yeah. that's another way and again Bears mentioning he's played on the on a, the team with the worst spacing in the league for two straight years now. So whatever you think he could bring in terms of you know some some ability to move uh, down the lane and whatever other shit, multiply that by a few, you know, and then you're going to get what he's going to look like on an actual team as long as he maintains the level of athleticism. Yeah, I look at like who's you know, you look at who what centers have been have absolutely like sinkhole to their teams in this playoffs. Only a few really come to mind. Um, one is Brooke, but that's not particularly his fault necessarily. They just kind of did their whole, like, we're not going to change our game plan thing. Cause Brooke's not even as slow as people think he is on the perimeter. He's not bam, but he's not like Rudy Gobert out there either. Um, not that even Rudy's that slow, but I won't go down that. Yeah, no, no I, hole. I, I, I don't um, disagree with that. <laughs> And then Trez right now um, is, oh my God. is unplayable. Was he He's minus? Unplayable. Was he minus seventy something for the series? Oof! It's in like a short amount of minutes. That's yeah, it's the crazy not a lot. Part. It's not great. Um, Mark Gasol, but him for him it wasn't really so much because of his defense. It's because his it was because he couldn't hit a shot, and his whole value on offense is predicated on shooting, really. And I mean the passing as well, but. Really, even more than that is the sh- if he's not hitting his his threes even a little bit, like you can't really do much with them. So they, you know, there's a reason why Nurse threw the playbook out the window and put OG at the five. Um, I love that during crunch time. So 
And then you could sort of argue Steven Adams, but not... I mean, that was against Houston, which is already a weird scenario, but it's not like they got obliterated. They That went down to seven games as well. I, I will not have any besmirchment of, of Steven Adams on this podcast. He's, he's one of my favorite non-Knicks in the league. Um, I, I think you... You know, you, you, you make several fantastic points, and this is getting into the nitty-gritty of what Mitch is right now and what he, I think more importantly, could be as a player. Um, and, and there is some contract stuff in there too, which I think is more what Jeremy's getting into. So Jeremy, you've been, we've been, we've been talking for a while. Um, maybe just preface this with like your, your main point more has to do with the, the valuation, right? of what he what he will get on his next contract. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, you know, it um I wrote an article. It was a very long article. It took me quite a long time, and I appreciate those who took who put in the time to read it. I thought I was going to get a prize for like it, I was going <laughs> to get to like hit a button and like there was going to be confetti on my my screen. No, it yeah, was great. No, well, it was phenomenal. I thought the same thing when I when I just like said to Alex Wolf, "All right, take over now because it just, the, it took me a month to just flush out ideas and really get into it. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's not even about that Mitch can't be valuable. It's how valuable can Mitchell Robinson be when you don't have these other pieces. And yes, obviously great players are going to struggle if they don't have uh, other or, or even good players are going to struggle and they don't have great pieces around them. And that's hard, but at what cost is it? Um, it's not about just letting Mitchell Robinson walk. It's about assessing his value, seeing what he could be, what he won't be, trying to work around that. Um, should you be building around that? Or is it the sort of thing where you just kind of um, have him, you, you plug him in later instead of make him more of a foundational piece? It, it was really all kind of talking that aloud. Um, so I, I don't See the reason why you trade Mitch Robinson right now, especially when you're so early on in the process and he hasn't had any time to work with the new staff that you've brought on board. It's more that, you know, there will be a time when the Knicks are good and how you accommodate for the lack of cap space or the decrease in cap space that you get by signing Mitchell Robinson is a question I have. It Again, it doesn't mean just trade him because he doesn't have value. It's just his value and the contract that he's on right now are very different than five years from now where he could be a better player, but he could also be paid at a rate where he's almost underperforming. And we just don't know. So that's why I think it's important to talk about it, get it out there. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, when you see a big, like Marcus Gasol struggle as much as he did, he missed threes in every single game against the Celtics, except for one. Um, that's a problem. And it doesn't mean that you then have the same issue with Mitchell Robinson, but it's maybe a little bit of a foreshadowing situation where, okay, how can we scheme around this? And if we're going to bring in top talent, how are they going to mesh with this type of player? So that's why I like to say it was really much more of a strategy piece than it was a trade Mitch piece because um, it's not really advocating for Mitch. It's just wondering aloud how the Knicks are going to juggle all of these things and uh, put together a winner. Yeah. And the two things I just want to throw in there, which I think are pertinent. Um, one is here's the thing about a center um, in today's game. And that makes it unique. You could, <laughs> this is going to sound great. You could only play a center at 
the center position. Um, exceptional podcasting right here. And what I mean by that is like, you know, if you don't have a center on your team who can protect the rim or do some of the other stuff that centers traditionally do, you know, be a dive man, set picks, the whole thing, you can get someone who has not been brought up as a center traditionally. Like, I don't know what position Daniel Tice has played predominantly throughout his career. Maybe he's played center coming up through whatever line of line of ball he's, he's played. I have no idea, but traditionally six, eight guys who aren't especially, I mean, he can move obviously, but he's not some kind of Uber athlete. Like those guys are not centers. The Celtics have put him in as a center and have done more than well enough because of all of the other shit that they have. And again, that's why the, that's one end of the conversation. The other end of the conversation is even though you maybe don't need a center in the, in the game today, there are things that the center can do that nobody else can do because again, because only the center could play the center position because of their height that you can't slot them at the three or the four. Um, like nobody else is going to offer that level of rim protection, which is the thing that is in the conversation like, hey, and this is what I brought up in my piece. Is this how much does rim protection matter anymore? Because you can't be in two places at once, which is and this is the second thing I want to say. Um, and then I, I want to turn it back to you, Prez, because I'm curious what you think about this. No, you can't be two places at once. Unless you're a really tall guy who moves like really, really well. And my biggest bone to pick with Mitch thus far has been, I don't think his footwork um, has been particularly good um, in terms of how he moves uh, when he's in a little bit of space. And, but, but there's a part of me that thinks one, maybe we've had the worst development program in the league over the last two years since Mitch came in here. And I don't know that people in the Knicks even would disagree with me if they're being honest. Um, and two, like, are, is there really a reason to think that he can't maybe clean that up significantly? And if he does, could he be that? I mean, I hate to use this word, but this is the only word I could use. Could he be that unicorn on defense who covers his shit um, like a not at a BAM level, but like at a whatever, 80 percent of BAM, 85 percent of BAM and when you take him with you to the rim, um, he's still going to be able to do his damage. And that that is the path to the scenario that I think Jeremy expertly expertly lays out as being doomsday, not being doomsday. Whereas like, OK, maybe he is costing you 15, 16, 17, whatever million dollars a year. But he is literally the only guy in the league or one of the two or three guys in the league, because who knows what's going to happen, who can do that very specific thing. And that very specific thing could wind up being in the years to come the queen on the chessboard on the defensive end. Do, do you think that that is realistic, Prez, or do you think that's pie in the sky stuff by me? I think it's realistic. And it gets to what I'm saying. So, like, one of the. The only only thing I took a little bit of issue with in in Jeremy's article is there's only so much past looking analysis of centers and how much they get paid that you can do that really applies to someone like him or someone even like Bam because guys like that haven't existed ever in the NBA they're they're new in the last few years so 
in it, it is definitely helpful to look back at you know uh, similar players as close as you can and what did they get paid and and all of that but the reason that matters is because its centers have historically for different reasons gotten overpaid because of the history of the center position right you can't win without a big man who does old, this and that. old habits die hard right and you know like you said like it's not like centers are dead forever but there's they still have a place especially when they're good at defense and i think he's less he's more likely to be closer to a higher valuation than i think a lot of folks would think and that's what i meant by saying i think i'm high on him because i think i don't think his footwork is as good as bam and draymond but he's more athletic than both of them and he's longer than both of them so i think he is mostly as good on the perimeter in terms of like, you want to put him on an Island, you want to have him follow, follow somebody cutting through the lane. Even if you have a guard who blows by him, potentially you know they got to blow by him by but, to but, be clear. Like. But potentially you have to throw in potentially because we haven't seen, that's the other part of this, right? We still haven't seen it on the consistent basis where it's like, you know, a couple games in a row where he doesn't get into foul trouble, which we, again, those of us, I'm high on him too. I think that'll, those are kinks that a good coaching staff will work out, but it does need to be noted at this point that we haven't seen the consistency there yet. Well, that's with, with fouling. I don't think that I think with fouling, fouling. Yeah. Sorry with fouling. That's what I meant. Yeah. 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 Like he has, the, to me, he has the movement and the athleticism. He oh, for sure. Yeah. On the damn court. Yes. No, 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 no. That, so, that, yes. And this, and, and this is what I'm saying. So like he has to me, like uh, the question of like, does he have that skill that would, potentially cost the Knicks more money if 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 Mitch and Rich Paul want to play hardball or whatever. Yes. But he also currently sucks at fouling and is not a good rebounder. So he still has like things that we re- we probably need to see a little bit more of um next year. So I'm not saying like pay the man fifteen million dollars right now, but but that specific skill, Bam, Bam, if you go back and read Bam's draft express report even though he's a six nine seven three wingspan tank super athlete, there was rim protection concerns that Mike Smith had on Draft Express yeah. um, because his instincts around the rim didn't quite match with his athleticism. Um, Miami, you know, knows that he's he's a better rim protector now than he was in Kentucky. We have the numbers for that, but they know that that's not where his his ideal usage is a, is a, is tilted a little bit more towards switching and perimeter defense um, than it is toward dropping all the time like Brooke Lopez. So uh, the fact that he's a good, not great rim protector, but a legitimately great switchable defender and help defender means they've decided this is the optimal usage for him. Like you said in your newsletter, Mitch's optimal usage is probably something we haven't seen because A, we had David Fisdale, and then B, we ha- we haven't had the supporting perimeter players because all of that all of that skill from your five means nothing we, if we, you have a parade of guys coming through the lane. We the go time. five minutes without throwing dirt on David Fisdale's grave. My, this poor man nope. somewhere. Nope. No, <laughs> I have zero. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I'm actually very excited for post-Nick's David Fisdale. I think if he wants to be a TV person, he would be fucking fantastic. Well, did you see the tweet? I, sorry to interrupt the flow of this conversation, but did you see um, 
Oh goodness, who was it? Um, JB uh, retweeted it for for days. <laughs> of course, of course, it's Azonia. Azonia suggested Fisdale be the next coach of of what team? The Rockets. Yeah. Oh goodness, yes. Let's 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 do it. Let's let's. He make. did empower. He did empower Azonia. Oh man, and you oh talk about a pig and shit. If he was to coach Russell Westbrook, oh my, I would pay. I would pay many American dollars to see um, those two hook up. Anyway, um, no, you're 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 right, and which is why Mike Miller looked like the second coming of of Red Arback when he was here because he he wasn't David Fisdale, um, and also our our players have sucked, um, other than other than Mitch Robinson. You, you make a you make a great point, um, but again, Jeremy, you, you, sorry, what were you, what else were you going to say, Prez? Something just came to me, like like you know, just trying to think of like guys in the playoffs who have the defensive profile that Mitch has. There's really not any of them. Bam is a, like I said, he's a little bit the reverse, but really the one who comes closest is Theus on defense in terms of being, you know, he's like he's not food out there on the perimeter. He's not twinkle oh, no. toes, but he's not food. No, he's but he can. He's good. He can hold his own at the rim too, despite being only six nine or six eight or whatever. It's just for that. It's Mitch is like that, but you just dial the rim stuff to eleven. Yeah, and and there are historically, and again, um, everything with history in the NBA has to be taken with several grains of salt because of how much the sport has changed in the last half decade. But there are historically things that you pay for over and above uh, shot creation. Uh, I guess three and D now and rim protection. And if it is a level of rim protection that can change your defense, even with these times, it's like, I mean, even as times were changing, nobody's called Rudy Gobert's contract, a bad contract. And I'm still not sure anyone would call that a bad contract because he's, you know, a lot of times he's, he's, well, he's really freaking good. He's a two, two time defense player of the year. So, J- Jeremy, as as we start to bring this home, um, I know you're always thinking big picture about team building and specifically, as you brought up earlier in our conversation about Giannis, um, the idea of getting stars and the different paths to getting stars. So, assuming that Mitchell Robinson would not be able to be packaged or put into a trade for a, a like quote unquote best player on a championship team this off season, which I, I don't foresee that opportunity um, availing itself. Um, I am almost tempted to say at this point that the only situation that I would really have to give it really. And I've, I've thought about this for a long time. Like you have the only situation that I'd give it real serious thought is the notion that he could be parlayed into and even this, I feel queasy about saying. I was going to say a potentially really, really, really good pick in next year's draft, but the way the lottery is now and the way teams fluctuate, like how many teams do we have 100% certainty are going to be dog shit next year? Um, Detroit and I don't know, maybe Cleveland? I I, I don't know. I literally. Char- Charlotte. Yeah, but even them, I mean, they they have the top, they have this pick, um, which again is it's a rookie, yeah. so it's. But listen, but that's uh, the fact that we there's nobody like super super obvious, and Detroit's not you know giving up any any kind of unprotected pick for Mitch, like it's like, and that's what the most the people the people that have come back and said this to me whenever I bring this up are like, okay, great, you're open to trading him. Well, what the fuck do you want to trade him for? I think that actually is my hang up because I don't know. 
that there's like, I'm not trading him for, for LaMelo ball. I just, I, I thought about it. I was almost on the, on the wagon on that. And I'm, I'm off. I'm not, I can't do it. Um, is there anything that sticks out to you, Jeremy is like, that's, this is the thing that I would look hard at if it presented itself. Yeah. So I'd say that the, the one thing I felt, and I said this in the article is that unless you're trading for a potential future superstar, um, I don't know how I feel about trading Mitch. I'm, I'm probably more uncomfortable than not. But with that said, if you were to tell me that Mitch and eight, uh, gives you a worse chance of getting a superstar down the line than say trading up for LaMelo and then trading LaMelo for someone does like, then it's a different story. Um, and I'm sure some fans are probably thinking, well, why wouldn't you just, you know, why you keep trading up? And it's like, it's, that's what you do in basketball. You, you're not at the top of the mountain until you get there. Like you're going to have to make moves and, um, they're not for the faint of heart, but if it gets you to where you eventually want to be, then it's all worth it. Um, so in terms of Mitch, yeah, I don't know how many teams are out there that necessarily need Mitchell Robinson right now and also have an asset that's so good that the Knicks couldn't pass up on it. Uh, ideally, the 2021 draft is the best time if you are going to deal him because for a lot of teams, you can just trade him uh, into cap space or you can send back a non-guaranteed contract or you can even trade him into uh, some sort of exception. So it works out that way. But Otherwise, I mean, yeah, well, teams-wise, okay, you have got the Warriors. But if the Warriors pick up Wiseman, then there's suddenly no market there for Mitchell Robinson. Um, I would say that Mitchell Robinson makes more sense for the Warriors than um, Wiseman would. Uh, from a financial standpoint, you're probably going to— Yeah, that's true. I mean, he's what? And Mitch costs less than $2 million this year. And then even if you pay him $12 million a year for the next three years— Wiseman costs about ten million this year, and that is only going to increase for the next three years after that. So, if yeah, you totally are be, counting totally every be the penny, same. yeah, right. So, if you're counting every penny, you're actually uh, getting a player who's more win now in Robinson, and you're paying less for that over the next four years. And that's pretty important. Um, but outside of him, you know, I mean, if the Knicks agree to a contract extension with Robinson, I don't think you can't move him. I think you can move him. Um, perfectly fine. It's just, what are you getting back? Is it an expiring contract? Is it a star? Um, it's just easier to trade him because his value is higher because of said contract. So in that case, you know, I mean, I thought the Warriors could work. I think their defensive rebounding would be pretty abysmal between him and um, Bertans. But it's the sort of thing where they're a type of team where they've essentially capped out on. Oh, you the mean the Wizards? They have. The Wizards sorry, or the, the Warriors? Wizards, yes. Yeah. Wizards. Excuse, well, yeah, I had Warriors on the brain. The Wizards. Um, and for me, it makes some sense because you've got uh, two Rich Paul clients in the same building now and with John Wall and Mitchell Robinson. Um, again, there's enough spacing and the, the Wizards defense is so abysmal that having a guy like Robinson could just make it night and day. And you've got Thomas Bryan, of course, but you can still kind of juggle it in a way where for maybe 48 minutes, you just have insane rim protection constantly. It means you can't really play a five-out offense, but maybe that's not a problem for the Wizards. They've got more than enough spacing between Beal and Bertans. Um, and they were a really great transition team, and that's one of the things that Mitchell Robinson did at such a high level, which was being a great transition player. So uh, other than that, you know, I, I don't know how many more teams might need him, 
So then it's like, yeah, are you willing to trade him maybe for less or do you keep him and re-sign him in hopes of growing around him um, or trading him down the line? Because if you're going to trade him down the line and you feel like you can get more now, then it's it's almost like the Porzingis trade, right? Like uh, a lot of fans were against it when Phil was listening and ultimately Porzingis was moved. So if you say to a fan, would you have preferred trading Porzingis when he was uh, after his second year, um, in the middle of his fourth or third year when he's, excuse me, fourth year when he's not even playing, or on a bigger contract, fans are going to go with the first option, trading him after his second year. So that, that's really all it kind of is um, in terms of this, but he'll fit somewhere. It's just a matter of um, what it is. Because at the end of the day, if he does get dealt, it's going to be uh, a high impact right away. Most likely. And if that's the case, then a lot of the big reaction is going to be, I can't believe that the Knicks did it again. They traded another big man and it's going to be oh, a get, disaster for them. They get murdered. And the reality is, right. It's the, the reality is, though, that the Knicks would be trading for uh, long term, not for short term. And you could say that Mitchell Robinson, Robinson checks off the boxes for short term and long term. But again, the value he would give you on his contract on a bad team um, and then on an extension with a not so great team. Um, it's just going to be completely different than if you trade him to another good team. Like if you have Rudy Gobert on the jazz, then they're a good team. But if you have Rudy Gobert on a team like the warriors, I mean, it's not going to happen, but just hypothetically, if you were to add that type of player, then of course it's going to make the jazz look like crap in comparison, but it just, maybe it didn't work out there and the assets coming back are better than what the future could be for them. It's not the perfect situation, but or, or comp um, comparison, but it's close to it in terms of how the players are. are yeah, the no, you, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. Um, you, I just, I'm thinking of two, I'm thinking of the, the wizards. I don't want to, I don't want to send them to the wizards. Cause I think that there's a, there's a possibility they have a smart front office. Now, theoretically, maybe they figure some stuff out and they still have Bradley Beal is pretty goddamn good player. Um, Prez, ever since you've mentioned Charlotte, I can't get, I can't get that out of my head now about, like a, like a Devonte Graham, and like Devonte Graham and a lightly protected pick next year for Mitch and eight. No, Devonte Graham, Devonte Graham. The guy didn't shoot forty percent. Like I know field goal percentage is is not super helpful as a stat, but he like, he's a really good. No, he if they want Devonte Graham, they can trade up for 17 and draft Cole Anthony or some shit like that. And boom, you basically have Devonte Graham. Except Devontae, maybe even Devontae Graham defense. didn't go to the rim at all. At least Cole drives to the rim. Um, That's what I'm saying. Like it, it's, it, I, I was also thinking while Jeremy was articulating those points really well, I wonder if a lot of those same things shouldn't mean we, we don't look at, negotiations with Mitch, regardless of who's his agent. I know people get, you know, the boogeyman or whatever with Rich Paul, but, like, I wonder if we aren't being overly pessimistic about the numbers that he'll get. How much is Price going to get this year? Yeah, I... I'm, I, I, I how much do you think y'all... How much do y'all, do y'all think he's going to get? Trez? Um, yeah. I think Trez will get four for 60 from... Well, maybe that's four a little high. Sixty? I don't think it'll 20, be that. Twenty after this playoff? Okay. Oh, well, again, recency bias. Um, 
But here's here's the biggest well, difference, though. Well, the markets now the- versus the market that Mitch will get um, will be very different. I mean, right now you're looking at maybe six teams that have cap space, and next year it'll probably be half the league. That doesn't mean that um, you know it, it doesn't change everything. But the yeah, reality, but all it takes is one asshole. It takes one right, sure, it takes one team. But if there isn't that one team, then um, they could probably risk losing Trez and picking up a player like him for the mid-level exception. So it, it, they have a lot, they, they can be willing to play it out for Mitch. It's a course, little different. That's no, that's no, the, the that's market fair. definitely affects it, but I'm, I'm just, I bring up Trez as an example. Of that's like, a high was, though. He, I, I think more like four who, for 48 or th- I think four for four. If he got less than four for 48, unless he wanted less years for more dollars, I would be really surprised if he got less than four for 48. I really would. I know, I know he's been terrible. Like he's, Lou he's Will is the ultimate six man. And he, he doesn't have anywhere near that. So I think that Trez, if he gets like eight or nine mil, that's probably going to be... That contract for Lou probably, Will was cra- not crazy, but that raised a lot of eyebrows when it was signed for, what was it, three for 24 or whatever. I mean... What well, do you think he's well, going to get, Press? Well, you got to remember. You got to remember. Why did Lou Will? Why didn't nobody want to sign Lou Will? Because he he has the kind of player whose flaws are exact are so hard to hide that you have to be this kind of Clippers team to make it worth it. And even then, it might not be worth it as we're as we saw today. That's and in that's the true. Previous game, and with Trez, it's like his flaws are absolutely glaring. And if you're not if the team, even if it is half the league negotiating for him now, like you could pay him more on the assumption that he'll get you 17 a game volume numbers and you don't have interest in winning a title. Sure. And that might happen, but all the same logic that we just explained about like how you could just go pick up another center from somewhere. Who's going to get you three quarters of what will get you for half that. Yeah, but he he does. Br- I I don't think you could diminish. He brings a certain whatever you want to call what he brings to the court. He's he's on eleven all the time now. Obviously, in the playoffs, everybody's kind of turned up. So that that. But when you're talking about and again, this this gets to the conversation of like what's the value of of regular season wins, right? Like Trez will help you win a lot of regular season games. That doesn't mean everything. It doesn't mean nothing. Um. He seems like a culture guy, you know, come in, work his ass off the whole thing. I don't know. Um, so it sounds like you think he would get, to, he's getting something closer to like three for low thirties. Is that more where you're yeah. at? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's less like, I'm not saying he doesn't have value. I'm just saying to get, I think teams, I think we should, we maybe should be giving teams, including the Knicks more credit in terms of saying to get value out of a five, they have to be exceptional in a very special way beyond just motor with, with no offense to Montrez how like there has to be a little more than that. And you know, that's part of the reason why Mitch dropped in the draft. Yeah. Part of the reason why the Knicks were able to negotiate this kind of contract with him, even as a second rounder. Well, right. They had all the leverage. They did. And you said something before, like, I'm not running out to pay Mitchell Robinson $15 million a year. That's the one thing I am going to disagree with you on, because the contract that they could sign him to this summer is four years for 51 or 52, maybe 53. I don't know where the exact number lands, but 
with a signing bonus that could take it up above sixty million dollars, which, if you add it all up, is essentially a four for four for sixty, so fifteen a year. I personally would sign the I would sign for that contract tomorrow because he's he's still at the yeah. small number for this year. So he you're essentially getting him for five for let's call it right. sixty four. So average annual dollars, it's dirt uh, shade under thirteen million dollars a year. Um and obviously the, the small cap hole goes away, which Jeremy, I know you factor into this big, but to, that's a bet that I would make because I think, again, Rich Paul, boogeyman, if he comes out under Tibbs this year and goes, <laughs> no, if he comes out this year and fucking makes all NBA it, second yeah. team defense, which I'm not fucking putting that past him at all, um, it, you know. Then, then we're then we're having a really different conversation a year from now. And but if, how how much how different is it yeah. really going to be? Between I, like, let's say you give him sixteen million dollars a year on the open market, is he going to get that much more? That's what I'm saying. It's like, right. So, like, so if that's I, the I case, get, then you might as well keep yep. him as a low cap hold. Um, don't commit anything to him quite yet. You can say, you know, this is what we're, you know, ask at least for Rich Paul and Clutch what they're thinking. I'm sure their number is going to be pretty high. The Knicks would prefer to have it a little lower. Um, but at that point, it's like if you're, yes, every penny counts, of course. But um, if you're willing to go to 18 or $20 million, then if signing him to a $16 million contract per year uh, it just feels like something you can wait on. You don't they, have to commit that much. No, you're, right you're right. And, and in my in my crazy scenario, he could make all defense second team and he still wouldn't get that offer. We'd need to see some of what Prez was talking about before. We need to see the. And even then you might not, that might not be enough because the way sender signed contracts is often not, unless you're a like true offensive fulcrum 25 Joel Embiid Jokic type, like, yeah, which we're not. That's the, not the, happening the, here. The skills don't trans. The skills don't translate to dollars. Even Bam, if Bam wasn't on the perfect system that he's in now, and he was just like a a, a switchy center who's athletic, who is an okay rim protector, who showed passing flashes because his team wasn't outside of the box, thinking outside of the box enough to let him bring up the ball and run nine thousand dribble handoffs every play, like. We wouldn't be talking about Bam as a max contract guy, as a $25 million yeah, guy. Which, which he's going to get the first opportunity. Well, no, actually not the first opportunity because they are going to try to save um, cap space and, and keep <laughs> his cap hole cheap because it's fucking Pat Riley. He's a diabolical genius. Um, you, you're <laughs> right. That's the case. If, if, if Pat Riley is the person who's a diabolical genius and that's what he's doing, then that's the perfect model to follow. No, which it, is why yes. Mitch's cap hole low makes sense in this situation. Yeah, I agree. I'm just, I'm just saying... My point, I just brought it up to say that like, no, you're not wrong. It's, it takes a perfect, it takes a weird, perfect storm for a center. Who's not a top three pick 25 a game type to get their value. They basically have to be a defensive player of the year to get like a gargantuan contract. So I think I, 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 even though my inclination is what you said, Macri, like you, let's lock him up 15 mil. Like I think Jeremy's right here in the sense that, He's probably not going to get more than that because the market teams are just not going to take that risk. They just go get Daniel Theus or whoever. And also, let's not bury the lead, which is the literally the most important um, factor hovering, not hovering over all this. It's it's count the elephants in the room. Um, 
I don't know how many fans are going to be in uh, arenas next year, but sure shit ain't going to be anywhere near capacity. If any um, caps going to be one Oh nine this year, caps probably going to be one Oh nine the year after that um, teams are not going to have the money. Um, you're right, Jeremy. Um, yeah. Maybe that boogeyman is not, uh, is not really there. Um, and it's just, this is just the Knicks fan in me who has seen a lot of bad shit happen for way too many years. Um, thinking somehow this is going to come back to bite us again, but maybe it's not. Um, and Leon Rose would be the guy I'd want negotiating. That's for shit. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, who better to know about how an agent thinks than an agent, former agent himself. Um, but the one thing for those who don't know, and you probably wouldn't, uh, the president <laughs> and I were talking on Twitter this past week and this kind of fantastic, this- by the way. You don't follow our tweets. Wait, yeah, wait, hold on. Have us, do you basis? mean there are people out there who don't religiously read the Twitter conversations that happen between you two? You know, Blasphemy. John, I was just as ashamed to learn that as you were just now. It was absurd. Uh, but yeah, so Prez and I were talking about the idea of uh, if you had Mitch in any trade scenario with the 2021 draft coming up. Uh, in the not so distant future, what that would even look like and his value. Um, and I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't at least talk about it because um, that was a large reason as to why, in addition to his knowledge generally, <laughs> uh, having him on. So, Prez, uh, I'll open the floor to you. Um, maybe we could talk about how it, it's obviously hard to predict the future. If we could, we would all be masters of it. Um, and we wouldn't really need to talk about it. But um, with what we know now and considering how you've got such a firm grasp on what 2021 draft class looks like, what would you say if the Knicks entertained an offer and felt a little hesitant towards paying Mitch long term would be around what would kind of be the range in terms of what they could get for him um, purely from a, a pick standpoint? I'm going to give you a cop-out answer because that's all I do when I come on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I don't know because I I feel like it's hard. It's going to be harder to – trading up is going to cost a lot more. It's, it's going to cost more than – it's going to cost more than any other draft we've seen. Uh, the, like even the Luca, Aiton, Bagley, Trey Young draft, like that was top-heavy but not quite as deep as probably this one might be. Um, obviously but that not one even is... trading up, just trading into it. Oh, you mean like... Like if the Knicks were to survey the market... Like how high could Mitch get us into it or something like that? Yeah, forget it on the trade-up. Just what is Mitch's worth on... You know, Is it a first-round pick? Is it a late first? Is it an early second? Oh. With this draft, yeah, that's like, a, how does that work? That's a more. That's a way more useful question. <laughs> In this uh, draft we're talking about? Cop, I was like... No, 2021. Or, oh, Mitch's or no. value in the 2021 draft? That is interesting. 20 to 21. I'm confused now. Okay. Let me start up. Um, <laughs> if, if Mitchell Robinson were to be flipped for a pick, obviously it depends on the type of team, but purely from in a vacuum, what would hit, what do you think his value could hold? Is it, is he worth the 20th pick in the 2021 draft? Is it, is he a lottery pick in that? How does it work in that sense? In that okay. draft. Correct. Okay. In that draft, I mean, I, I've explained that I'm high on Mitch, but if high for, high on Mitch, but other teams, you know, might not be as high on him for the reasons that they said they'd rather 
gamble on another useful player in, later in a draft, like Xavier Tillman in this year's draft or something, who's not going to be as good, but is still going to be a really useful center. So I don't know, because you're talking about, when you're talking about picks, especially good ones, you're talking about upside, right? And as high as I am on Mitch, like, this next draft is just straight up, like, everybody is six foot eight with some side of some sort of like monster creation or scoring or both upside. And literally it's like 10 guys like that. Can I, and there's like zero in the 2020 draft. So you already know, like this, that's not normal. Can I jump in? And I, cause I texted for one of the newsletters this week, Spencer, I'm like, how many guys in next year's draft would go number one in this draft? And he said the number was between six and 10 and he'd probably settle on eight. So yeah. Yeah. That sounds it. That sounds about right. And he's, you know, as you know, he's, I've lost a little bit on these guys, but I'm sure Spencer has like clips on deck ready to go. <laughs> oh, he's, you know him. Um, yeah. No, it's a, well, it was so, but yeah, what, something like that. Yeah. It's good. Um, why, Jeremy? What, so what's, what are you, what are you thinking? No, it was more, it was, uh, very much the, uh, the reason why it kind of opened the door to this podcast. Okay. Because if you're able to accrue more assets and because, Again, if the question is paying Mitch uh, a four-year contract where he's making upwards of $60 million over the four years versus maybe um, getting talent that could be similar in the draft for not necessarily from a positional value, but um, just adding that type of talent to the team for what, maybe $12 million over four years, maybe it's $15 million. I mean – that's a remarkable way to save. Uh, it's just yeah. to what end? Because you're obviously trading a yacht for a mystery box that could have a yacht. Uh, it's just a question, is your yacht going to be that much more impressive long term or is that one going to be? Um, the, the is it better to buy a cheaper yacht? Box, 2021 mystery box might have a spaceship. Exactly. Yeah. Might have a yacht. Yeah, <laughs> it, could, it's, it could levitate over water and you don't even need it. Like the the... You know, I I think you could actually argue that the best the best asset out there on the market that or the best sorry the best pick I don't actually I don't even I I was gonna say you could argue this I don't even think this is an argument the Timberwolves pick that the Warriors own is by far the best draft asset that's out on the market right now with all due respect to all the future picks that can be. Sp- you know, swapped between Houston and OKC and the, uh, or the Clippers from, from, or from LA to Oklahoma city for that trade, or like the Miami picks that are out there. Like none of those fucking picks hold a candle to that wolves pick because the wolves are not going to make the playoffs. The wolves are not going to be, they'll be better, but they're not going to be great. Um, and that's, it's protected one through four. So, like if there was a like, I, there's not going to be a situation out there. Like some te- some shitty team is going to trade away. Um, and the you know the wolves were up against the wall because they had to get the Angela Russell or Carl Anthony Towns was going to, I don't know, go to his room and cry, whatever the hell he was going to do. Um, so you know, it is what it is. Um, but you're not including the fact that Julius Randle will get them to the playoffs. Uh, the ju- listen, um, well, if anybody from Wolves management is listening to this podcast, which I'm sure they are. Um, he don't listen to any of the bad things that you, uh, that you hear about Julius Randall. He is, he's the missing piece. You didn't even know you needed. 
He's he's that good. Um, the wherever the promised land is, he has the, he has the map, and he's going to take you there. Um, okay, we have been talking for a very long time. Um, anything else we need to cover before we get the hell out of here? Game seven should be fun. Game. Oh my god, we have a. I can't believe this is. I can't believe this is going to a game seven. Yeah. Um, that is, uh, real, real quick, uh, press who you got for, uh, uh, heat, uh, Celtics. Oh man. I don't know. That's a tough one. I just know it's going to go seven games. That's fair. Uh, Jeremy, you want to make a prediction? I'll say, God, I know. Like I, I hate both teams. So I, it's disgusting that I find myself rooting for the heat over the Celtics. So with that in mind, I'm going to say, with the added rest, heat and six. Oh, spicy. Yeah. Um, I go Celtics. No. Yeah. No. Nah. <laughs> yeah. I'll go. Fuck it. I'll go Celtics seven. Um, all right. Prez, uh, before we get out of here for anybody foolishly who does not know where to find you, can you tell the folks at home where you are, where you are at? Yeah. If you don't get, you know, notifications for whenever I tweet shame on you, but you can fix that by following me at underscore P R E Z I D E N T E um, underscore presidente. And I write draft stuff for the Strickland and I'll be writing more draft stuff until this draft finally occurs in the year 2027. <laughs> well, well said. Um, Jeremy Cohen, I just want to say quick, um, in case you weren't going to say it, your piece for the Strickland this week was really was a masterclass. And uh, even, even if people just absolutely vehemently disagree with every word, it is uh, worth reading because um, most people don't put the amount of time and thought into um, things that you did uh, that piece. So uh, shout out to you for that. Anything else you want to uh, uh, say before we get you out of here? Well, thank you. Uh, I certainly wasn't going to say it. I was thinking it, but I'm not clean enough to say it. So I appreciate you being my mouthpiece. Uh, Anytime. And I appreciate the cojones on Prez to come on this podcast after I invite him and then uh, say that he disagreed in some manner. So uh, even if it was my new, <laughs> the audacity. Uh, no, I, I have nothing to promote this week. I'll have at least one article for the strict.land the following week, maybe a second one. Uh, if I stop being as lazy as I have been with a free agent profile. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, all for me. Awesome. Um, and also wait quickly, uh, because you won't say it, uh, John, do do? you did a great job with one of your articles this week, just kind of dissecting everything about not like Chris Paul, but then the league and the team <laughs> as a whole, it's, it's inspired my article for Monday. So uh, next Monday. So I appreciate that. And thank you. Why? Thank you, Jeremy. Um, I, um, I am tired and I have an empty beer bottle, which means, you know what time it is. I still have a little bit left in my fridge. Capital M baby. It's mead time. Cause I ran out of beer and it's Sunday and I'm not going to the fucking yes. supermarket. There you go. Um, it's the same mead. It's the same mead. It's probably as bad as it tasted the first time. Now that it's been whatever, fermenting in my fridge opened for a month um it's it's well no i had two bottles of it so when we first spoke of the mead that bottle has since been finished this is a separate bottle that was opened several weeks ago um which i will drink 
I think I'm going to finish. Although I did, I do have a bottle of red somewhere in the house and then I have whiskey and I think gin. So there are some options here. Um, and I'll leave you hanging folks at home on how I am going to inebriate myself before going in to, um, a school building tomorrow and pretending to be a functional human teacher. Not with kids though. I will say that I would never go into a classroom and teach drunk. How dare you think so? How dare you? Shame on you. Jeremy and Prez, thank you, both of you. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say, you're sick. <laughs> welcome. This exceptional podcast. I don't know if you're going to continue or if we should acknowledge it, but well, no, there we go. You, you killed it. All right. Uh, everybody at home, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Good evening.